Hi, Reading Glasses listeners. Bria here. We had someone reach out to us to tell us about a disaster relief fund for the victims of Hurricane Harvey, specifically for the Texas Library Association. And we just want to let you know that we're going to link to that in our show notes on the Maximum Fund blog and then also in the show notes for the show. And we will keep you updated. Uh, Right now, they are not accepting books. They only are accepting money for the Texas Library Association Disaster Relief Fund. But we will keep you updated on how that looks as time goes by to see if there's more things that you can do. We are donating some money ourselves and we'll give you the link. Thanks. You're listening to Reading Glasses, a show about book culture and literary life designed to help you read better. I'm writer, filmmaker, and book devourer Mallory O'Mara. And I'm Bria Grant, actress, filmmaker, and e-reader. This episode, we're absolving you of all of your book shame, interviewing Daniel H. Wilson, and also Mallory finally gets to talk about her book brush. Yes. Stay tuned for that. Yes. But first... What are you reading, Bria? Oh, I just finished the second book in a series, Waking Gods by Sylvain Nouvelle, whose name I just looked up how to pronounce and I probably still mispronounced it. I think that's right. I read the first book earlier this year, which was called Sleeping Giants. And this is Waking Gods. I, I actually just finished it like last night. I've heard it's amazing. It's great. It's it's actually really good sci-fi. If you like want to dip your toe into sci-fi, but you don't want it to be difficult to read, it's actually really easy to read because... The entire book is all interviews or oh. or logs or a discussion between people. So it's almost like you're reading like a mixture between a play slash a transcript. And it's huh. so everything's sort of like as it's happening or right after it happens. And so it's really interesting. Anyway, so the first book opens with a little girl and she finds a giant hand in the underground, like deep underground. And she falls through a hole or something. Yeah, and right? there's a hand. And and basically in the first book you find out there's this robot that she becomes a scientist and then she, they can, they find the pieces of this robot all over the world. And in the second book they have to like use that robot basically. That sounds great. So I've it's heard a giant it's robot. But it's like not giant robot like Transformers. I picture it more like the Statue of Liberty if that was a robot. Because it's a lady robot. Can you read that book? Her name that is sounds Thema- great. Famous. Famous, I guess that's how you say it. Ladybot. Yeah, it's a ladybot. But yeah, not like a like robot. It's more like a like hard to control and like for some reason the legs are on backwards and that's a whole thing they have to deal with. Anyway, it's, it's perfect really- for this episode since we're interviewing the robot king himself. Oh, really are. Okay, what are you reading, Mallory? I finally got the audiobook of Eddie Izzard's biography, Believe Me. You've been from- waiting forever for it. I've been it. waiting for two months for it, and it was so <laughs> worth the wait because Okay, Eddie Izzard is my favorite stand-up comedian. I think he is amazing. He is one of my favorite actors. He's just so fucking funny. And if you know anything about Eddie Izzard, you know that his his voice is amazing. His delivery is amazing. So I, when the book came out, I almost went and bought it in hardcover. And I was like, no, I really, really want him to read this to me. And it's just amazing. It's just the story of his life and how he became a performer. And it's hilarious. It's also really sad. But like super poignant and it's just fantastic i love him so much did he start as a stand-up comedian no he started as an actor yeah well he always wanted like i'm actually right in the middle of the part right now where he always wanted to be an actor so he 
snuck onto the lot of Pinewood Studios in Britain just because he thought that he was like, oh, if I just show up at the studio, they'll be like, oh, hey, you could be in movies. It's really cute. Um, I just want to tell everyone that it's not cute. That it, do not do that. Do not do, <laughs> do that. Not Don't, do that. <laughs> Don't do that. It's a good story about Eddie Izzard because it worked out well for him. But if and you do that, a little you bit different back in the 80s. Yeah, it's probably true. Now they'll just like shoot you with a laser. Uh, so we want to take a moment to share some listener feedback. Paul wrote in about our book events episode. I've not been to that many book events, but have had a few books signed by the late author Terry Pratchett. The first was the day my son Michael was born. He was born about 3 a.m. I headed in, into town to the signing, and Mr. Pratchett signed the book for Michael, Welcome to the World, Kid. A couple years later, Pratchett was back in town, so we popped in with Michael, who fell asleep in my arms in the long queue and woke up just as we were getting to the front of the line. He yawned, looked around dazedly at the guy with the bald head and white beard, and said, in a confused tone of voice, granddad, to much <laughs> guffawing all around. Another nice personalized message. And of course, these books are amongst his prized possessions and he's now in his mid-20s. Aww. That's super cute. So Dave wrote in to us. He said, I haven't been reading much lately and a lot of my friends either moved away or started having kids, which means I hardly see them anymore. So I decided to check out a local book club meetup in town. Sometimes I'll bail on events like this where I don't know anyone, but after reading a whole book in a few days, I, it was really fast. It was The Road by Cormac McCarthy, which is a great book and you can get through pretty fast. That was Bria, not Dave saying that. <laughs> Bria I, footnote. I didn't want to go through that whole book and not be able to discuss it, so I took a chance and had a great time. I think I'm going to go, keep going to the club. I just started the next book today, which is The Trader Brew Cormorant by Seth Dickinson. That's awesome. So it's a yeah. great, great way to social force yourself to socialize because you already did the homework. Yeah. <laughs> and also, we get a lot of mail about book clubs, guys. So we're actually going to be doing a whole book club episode where we talk about book clubs. Dave, thanks so much for writing in and telling us your very nice story. And we hope that you keep going and keep making book friends. Jem wrote in to support reading out loud. I started reading aloud with friends about three years ago. Me and two friends would take it in turns to read chapters of A Night Veil, vale, His Dark Materials crossover fanfic. I'm uh, very that. intrigued by this. <laughs> I'm totally obsessed with Philip Pullman's uh, His Dark Materials series. That was a Mallory footnote. I don't think young adults are used to reading out loud, and it w will be weird the first time you try it. I was no exception, but as I got better at it, I realized it was an entirely new way to experience a story. Since then, I've read entire books aloud to partners with friends, sometimes alone and just for the heck of it. Every season, I host an event where everyone dresses up and brings one or two stories to read to the group based around a theme. My winter sci-fi reading starts in two hours, and there's glitter everywhere. I honestly can't recommend it enough. Reading out loud to or with someone you care about will entangle the book with your relationship in a really special way. There is no need to wait until having children to read out loud. Also, side note, she's in Australia. That's why it's wintertime down there. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Jem, um, this is such a nice story. It really is. I wonder why there's glitter everywhere in her house. Oh, if she's dressing up as Oh, it's something. like a sci-fi like glitter party? Yeah, I don't know why people always associate like glitter with the future. Jim, I want to see photos of this glitter house. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like a lot of vacuuming is going to have to happen later, but yeah. I, I think it's a great... I think it's great. Also, reading out loud is really fun. Uh, my dad, which I and pretty public about has Alzheimer's and he loves it when I read to him. Mm -hmm. uh, he wants to know, like I'll be reading a book and he'll be like, read that out loud to me. And so I start reading it out loud and he usually just falls asleep, but he loves it. But That's it is awesome. weird when you don't read out loud very often, like yeah. a whole book. I don't read out loud. Because I think, I talk very fast, but I think even faster. So yeah. I have a really hard time reading out loud. It's hard for us to read these out loud. The, yeah. These As letters. you guys might have noticed. <laughs> Yikes. Well, thank you for all of your feedback. You can always email us at readingglassespodcast at gmail.com. We want 
want to hear everything you have to say about our podcasts. And as always, we want to thank Danielle, who runs our Facebook group, and Chrissy and Rachel, who moderate our Goodreads page. And before we talk about book shame, we're going to take a quick break. Going into a bullseye interview, I know it's somebody who does amazing work, but it's an actual conversation. I don't know where it's headed. <laughs> hey, these are this is this, this is the straight talk that that you're going to get on this show. Does that make sense? I feel like I'm in therapy. <laughs> I think you, you I got more out of you than the therapist I went to twice. <laughs> bullseye, creators you know, creators you need to know. Find it at maximumfun.org or wherever you get podcasts. So this week, we're talking about book shame. We're going to discuss some common reader confessions, stuff we all do or don't want to admit to. Guys, it's okay. We're here to clear away all the book shame. We can all help the reader world be less snooty, be the change you wish to see in the world. In the book world. In the book world, In the reading world. Seriously, we all do these. So just like, let's just collectively get it all out there and then decide to cut the bullshit. So the first reader confession is, I haven't read, insert classic book here. Right, right, right. A lot of people have a lot of shame about not reading quote-unquote classic books, and they feel bad, or they feel like they're not cultured enough because they haven't read a certain thing. All right, guys. We we totally covered this also with uh, Tanya Thompson, Mm -hmm. who uh, they banned a bunch of books from her school. You can look at that episode. That was our Beach Reads episode, but she also came on and talked about how she hadn't read a bunch of books because they were not assigned to her in school. Yeah, as if it's a problem. All right, guys. Let's be real here. Most of the classic books we've all read are because they were assigned to us in high school or college. People can't act high and mighty because they read War and Peace when their their teacher told them to. You shouldn't act high and mighty anyways. If you wanted to read all the classics in the world, you'd have time for literally nothing else, no other books, and no TV or movies or anything. We're going to do a whole episode on the classics, by the way. But you can stop feeling ashamed because you haven't read a certain classic. The person you're talking to probably hasn't read a classic that you have. Just admit it. It doesn't make you a bad, uneducated person. There's no shame around it. Also, I want to point out that the list of classics in the literary Western canon is mostly straight white dudes, so it should be changed anyway. It's almost completely arbitrary. Do you have a a book that you haven't read? A very big um, classic? Yes. What is it? I've never read Catcher in the Rye. Oh, I actually really like Catcher in the Rye. I know you know this about me, that I, I love J.D. Salinger. I've never read it. And, you know, I have a really weird connection with classics because I always read a lot when I was a kid. So uh, one of my weird stories is um, my weird absentee father hurt, like knew that I liked books. So he gave me Moby Dick to read when I was nine. So that was a really weird that summer. Really, really weird. I want to admit something right now. Most of the classics education I got was through the show Wishbone. I don't know the show. There was a little Jack Russell Terrier who would dress up and shout out to everyone, all the 90s kids who loved Wishbow, but it was like a little dog and he would go on adventures and like one episode was him acting out Oliver Twist and one episode was him acting out. But does out he talk? And, oh, yeah. Like, does his mouth move? Uh, I can't remember. Or I think it was like, like shitty likes, CGI. He does like, tel- like uh, what do you call it? When you- Telekin- not telekinesis. It's not called oh. telekinesis. <laughs> the dog's like flying, making things fly around. Um, uh, ESP? Yeah, he has like ESP. I don't remember, actually. I'm pretty sure they made him talk. Like he moved his mouth? 
I think it Do was you have shitty. Teeth? C- I think it was shitty CGI or something. <laughs> but that's where I got. I you know what? That's where I got. I've never read Oliver Twist, but I saw the Wishbone episode. It's fair. So what about you, Bria? What is your what is your classic book that you haven't read? Okay, we were just talking about this this morning, and I realized this is, like a big I, this is not true about me a hundred percent. But I haven't read. I as a big horror person who loves horror movies. I have not read most Stephen King books. I thought of one I had read this morning when talking to you, which I did read Cujo. But still, that's I, like, I like dogs, which why would you read Cujo if you like dogs? Yeah, that doesn't make weird. any sense. In high school, I worked in a library, and for some reason, I was really into Dean Koontz. Which so I've never read. I read a bunch of, and maybe my mom also had some Dean Koontz books. I can't really remember. I never picked up any Stephen King because I was too busy reading Dean. Me, so, yeah, me so, and Dean were hanging out too much for Stephen to get I know, in on Steve, this. Steve just couldn't make his way in. <laughs> I also have read some nonfiction by Stephen King, I guess, on, on writing, writing, which is really good. But I, but mostly like like Misery, It, because it is about to come out and people are like, oh, did you love the book? And I'm like, I haven't read the book. Well, I almost feel like this is impressive because when you're a horror fan, it's almost hard not to read Stephen King. Like when I was moving into my new apartment and I was unpacking my shelves, I was like, I have like two shelves worth of Stephen King and I don't even like you're not even trying. It's just like a thing that he's written a lot of books. They just appear in your house. You get some books and all of a sudden you just get Stephen King. Okay, so reading confession number two. Sometimes you pretend to have read a book that you have not. Guilty. (laughs) Everybody does this. We all do it. You want to impress your date. You want to be in on the conversation. Uh, You want some weird dude to stop talking to you at a party. And so you're like, yeah, I've totally read that. Don't tell me the plot of it. Guys, we can all collectively just stop doing this right now. It's not embarrassing that you haven't read a book. It's no big deal. There are a bazillion books out there, and there's no way you're going to be able to read all of them. We've already talked about this. You don't have to pretend like you've actually read the book. You don't even have to read the book, or you can if you want, but don't. you don't <laughs> have to pretend. Do you, do you have a story about this? I was just going to say, and also, you might be missing out, because I think a lot of us pretend to have read books because like you're having a great book conversation with someone, and you're like, oh my god, this person's a reader. Oh, we're going to high five. We're going to be friends. And then they're like, have you read this? And you're like, you don't want to stop the flow. You don't want to like stop the inertia of this conversation. <laughs> so you're just like, uh, yeah. But you know what? Just because you haven't read a book doesn't mean you can't have continue a book conversation. Oh, I like that. They, they, maybe they're going to be like, have you read this? And you'll be like, no. And they'll be like, don't. Yeah. <laughs> you never know what conversation you could be having. You guys could both be pretending to have read it. This is... This, <laughs> and then you guys could just be liars together. La- filthy liar club, okay? Just like, just let it... Just say, just say no. Just say you haven't read it. Just say you haven't read it. It's okay. And also, I mean, I personally read a lot of weird books that everyone else is not reading and not necessarily the books that everyone else is reading uh, so I feel like that this is something that happens although I did this recently yes tell the story anyone hear my confession yeah I was with someone who had optioned a book I won't say what it is for to be a movie and I kind of acted too excited because I had the book and I was like oh my god that's so awesome and they were like oh didn't you love it and I was like yeah because I had already then sort you're, of like, then you're trapped I had already said that's awesome because you had told me about the book and I thought it was great and I had planned on reading it but like hadn't so I kind of did the like yeah I've read a little but not very much I haven't finished it and I totally lied which is not like me yeah I felt like I had to and then they were like isn't it gonna be so hard to make this part of it and I was like yeah so hard man (laughs) this is just you really really like like the sitcom scenario I know you you turned I turned to a sitcom character of like "Uh uh-huh yeah Yeah. totally I'm a terrible liar and I should have just said look I I own it I just borrowed it but I actually haven't read it yet but I heard it's amazing and that's awesome congratulations you got the option for it. Yeah, because that conversation could have been them telling you about what they liked about the book, but instead it's like a weird like sitcom scenario where you're like an increasingly ser- 
series of uh, you're trapped in an increasingly elaborate series of lies. Yeah, and I'm just hoping at some point, like one of those really large canes, are gonna like grab me and pull me away from the conversation. <laughs> and like, and makes, like a, a strong wind will come and take you away. <laughs> like I open an umbrella and it's like, whoa, oh, sorry, gotta go. <laughs> yeah, just guys, let's all just like own up to the fact that we haven't read things. Let's let's own up to not having read books and open ourselves up to awesome conversation possibilities. So on the opposite vein of that, the third reader confession is pretending we haven't read a book because it's a guilty pleasure. It's kind of lowbrow. It's kind of weird. Maybe you love Fifty Shades of Grey. Maybe you read a ton of superhero comics. Maybe you read nothing but romance novels. Listen, folks, reading is reading is reading. It's like working out. It doesn't matter what you're lifting or running on. You're still doing it. You're learning new words, practicing empathy. You're supporting the arts. You're exercising your brain. It doesn't matter if you're reading a comic or a YA novel or a literary fiction novel. By denying you've read a book, you might, again, you might be missing out on a great conversation with a new friend. What if the person you're talking to is a big thing that you're a fan of? What if you're both weird? (laughs) Okay, do you have one that you pretended that you didn't read and now you claim you you read? Yes, okay. So, when I was a teenager, I was working at Dunkin' Donuts and and my supervisor was like... Also, side note, this is something that happens to all of us. All of us know that when you are a reader, anybody who is reading a book automatically thinks you're going to love it just because you like books. And she's like, hey, I just read this book and I really loved it. You should borrow it. you think that everyone... Oh, because someone's like, I'm reading a book. Yeah. I don't read very often. Yeah. Here, you should have this book because I know you like reading. Yes. I see. Yeah, okay. Go ahead. Happens all the time. (laughs) All all the time to me. But it was Twilight. And this was... (laughs) And this was before the Twilight craze fit, like, oh, really. Wow. So, um, so I read it, and I was like, eh, I'm not really, I don't like love triangles. It, it makes me very stressed out. So I was like, I really wasn't into the book at all. But then it, it hit, and it, like, then it started getting, like, everyone started lambasting this book. And I was like, oh, no, I've read Twilight. So for years, I told, like, I was like, well, I've never read Twilight. I would never read that. But you know what, guys? I read Twilight, okay? <laughs> wow. What an announcement. I didn't read the sequels, but I fucking read Twilight. <laughs> I read it before all you fuckers did okay and, my and you're emotional about it i'm very emotional about it i just i'm ashamed of my book of i'm ashamed of my book fame it's okay stephanie meyer fucking get it girl okay do whatever why not actually i have big problems with a lot of the stuff in twilight still from a feminist point of view but you know what whatever fuck it i read twilight what about you bria okay big confession on my part uh, books that I don't put up my Goodreads list. <laughs> Damn, even your mom doesn't know about. No, these. she probably does now. Um, but I read a lot of like books that you might consider self help. So do I. Um, I really love Brene Brown. I Hell know. Yeah. I know people. Some people. It should be. The, I I read the people that become these like where they're like, oh, and Lean In isn't that funny? Where I'm like, no, when I read that book, I got a lot out of Lean they're In. They're great books. I was like, you really should kind of lean in. Like, I totally understand it. And I read a lot of books like that. I read a lot of the like sort of women in business, women trying to be confident. Like, oh, and you've been whatever that kind of kind of uh, books. And I find them extremely helpful. No, dude, so do I. I love them. Have you ever read Tiny Beautiful Things by Cheryl Strayed? Oh no. no. Oh my god. I'm gonna never read any Cheryl Strayed confession. Oh my god. I'm gonna let I'm gonna let you borrow it because it's fucking amazing. <laughs> I also think a lot of this kind of shame, we both named books that are very gendered, the Twilight yep. books and the Brene Brown books and Cheryl Strayed and all uh-huh. these kind they're very gendered. A hundred uh, fucking percent. And they're either either about like young women finding themselves or women who are seeking feelings. Help. And I think we need to like think about why that there's a patriarchal construct that is shaming us. A hundred percent. 
because there's a reason that we're not admitting to the fact that we really feel like we need to lean in. Yep. You know, I what? lean in in all my meetings. Damn right, I lean girl. in. I lean, lean in to the table. Damn fucking right. No, that's 100% correct. If you are feeling a lot of book shame, you should take a moment to think, is this because this is a lady book? That's why romance, a lot of people are quote unquote embarrassed to read romance novels because they're women's fiction. Fuck that. Some of the best writers today right now are romance writers. Mm. So we want you to send your reader confessions to readingglassespodcast at gmail.com. I have a feeling these are going to be really fun to read if people send good ones. Send us good ones. Confess to us, guys. We are here to absolve you of your book shame. So before we talk to author Daniel H. Wilson, we're going to take a quick break. Hey, Londoners. Do not miss out on your chance to see the Beef and Dairy Network, Jordan Jesse Go, and Judge John Hodgman live at the London Podcast Festival from September 13th through 17th. Tickets are still available. So realize what you've done wrong and fix it. Get those tickets. For more information, go to MaximumFun.org and check out the live shows on the right side of the page. Go. Do it. So now we're here with Daniel H. Wilson, who is the author of Robo Apocalypse and also has a new book called The Clockwork Dynasty, which just came out. Hey, Daniel, how are you? Doing great. Hey. Um, Thanks for coming on the show. It seems like you have really firmly entrenched yourself in this world of robotics. Can you tell us a little bit about your new book, uh, The Clockwork Dynasty? Sure. The Clockwork Dynasty uh, is kind of like a historical thriller. It's a little bit of steampunk. It imagines that there's this ancient race of human-like machines that have been blending in with humanity and serving all the great empires of antiquity for centuries. And now, in the present day, they're running out of power. They're cannibalizing each other in order to survive. And this anthropologist stumbles onto the secret of their existence and goes on this around the world adventure to figure out where they came from and who built them and how to save their race from extinction. How did you get involved in robotics? Uh, I was a nerdy kid and I loved programming computers and I love this idea of, you know, you type out this code and then you bring this thing to life and then it goes off into the uh, world and this robots do your bidding. <laughs> so, so I studied robotics at Carnegie Mellon for a really long time and And I always loved science and science fiction pretty much equally. So as it turned out, I never did use that degree in robotics for anything except to write science fiction. So that was 10 years uh, (laughs) down the drain. So, but Daniel, how do we know you're not a robot? <laughs> uh, dude, I, I wish I had the, the gumption to maybe just build a version of myself so that I could just go chill out somewhere. But, uh, but there's no guarantee that I'm not a robot. Just if yeah. I am, don't tell me. <laughs> I don't want to know. Gotcha. Okay, so this episode is all about busting people's book shame, uh, like genres that we think are embarrassing, things that uh, are habits that are embarrassing. Do you have any embarrassing books that you have read that you really like that you want to share with us? Oh, man, I'm so omnivorous. I read everything. And especially when I was a kid, I would read literally anything that I could find. And so I often found myself embarrassed. I mean, I could go on and on. Like the, the first 
time I remember being embarrassed was when I, I was reading where the red fern grows a, out at dinner, like with my parents, and I burst into tears. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I, and I was like, and I remember that moment when I realized I was going to cry, and, and it was like when you know you're going to throw up or something, and I'm like, no, no, Daniel, you can't do this. <laughs> and I just burst into tears. Um, and then when I was a teenager, I found uh, Wally Lamb. She's come undone, and like. Uh, um, oh gosh, I can't remember all the titles of his books. Um, it was totally a, a, I know a this much is true. Right? Yeah, I found like an Oprah's book club. I think I was uh, I was backpacking in Europe and I was and I got super into Wally Lamb and I was reading all of these like books where actually in retrospect those were great for me because I had never really read books that were from a female perspective and and like you know I was still an awful teenage boy but I was actually it made me a little bit more empathetic, I think, to, to, to read books outside the usual perspective of like a, a, a CIA agent or like whatever, a, you know, a sword wielding fantasy. Uh, yeah, I got really into those Oprah book club books too, just so you really? know. So, no, no shame there. And then maybe, maybe my latest sort of most recent example of being embarrassed. So I live in Portland, Oregon, and there's a ton of awesome authors that are out here and we all judge each other. <laughs> And I had a house party where I just invited everybody I knew and people brought friends and it ended up being this really cool, eclectic mix of people in my house. But I walk into my office and sitting on my desk are Chelsea Kane and Chuck Palahniuk and they're holding up Atlas Shrugged and they're like, Daniel... Uh, buddy, <laughs> what's going on? And I was like, suddenly I felt so naked because these awesome authors are in my office looking at all of my worn out paperback. And I was like, no, don't look, don't look at my books. <laughs> like, don't judge me. Um, and I, you know, whatever, you've got to read a little Ayn Rand, even if you don't, um, or Ayn Rand or however you do it. Even if you don't necessarily espouse their, her ideologies, you know, uh, it's good to read, although it can be a little embarrassing when it's on your shelf and other authors are judging. I love that story. So in that vein, do you have any books that you pretend to read, have read or pretend to not have read? <laughs> you know, I'm not that ashamed. I, I will admit to reading pretty much anything. Um, but uh, the, the stuff that I... I, the thing is, if you know, I was always taught if you don't have anything nice to say, don't say anything at all. So I'm going to keep this vague. But the stuff that really kills me, where I can't admit to to liking it, even if I meet the author, is um, super literary stuff. That's also genre. Like I like literary genre. I I you know believe that my stuff is maybe a little bit literary, but like whenever it's super literary, like getting into just the weeds of beautiful prose, but then like there's zombies or something. I'm just like, give me the zombies, right? I can't. Oh, God damn it. I don't care about like your father's camera. Give me the fucking zombies, you know, because like it's been too long. It's been like 10 pages. Where's the zombies or like, or whatever, you know, there's a, there's a few books that, that, are very bravely marching in this territory, but I can never get past it because I'm looking for that plot too much, you know? Um, so, so those are the kinds of books that I can't, um, I just have to keep my mouth shut unless I have like two beers, in which case I go on a, a terrible rant and uh, make enemies. <laughs> Daniel H. Wilson, After Dark Book Review. <laughs> hey, it's, it's, it's La Croix right now, so uh, I'm on that hey, train. Did you... Um, 
Have any uh, weird, shameful reading habits you want to share with us? Shameful? Well, I actually, I just, I've always read too much. That's the problem. I, I read and walk. I read. I, I, I can, my whole life, I can remember my dad shoving me and going, hey, look up, you know, look up in the book. And now I have a seven-year-old daughter. And just the other day, uh, she was at the breakfast table reading uh, Amulet, which is this awesome um, graphic novel that I totally recommend. And, uh, and I'm like, go, go brush your teeth, you know? So she stands up and she's walking across the room with her face buried in the book, not looking up. And I, and I kind of like tapped her on the shoulder and I'm like, hey, look, oh my God. <laughs> this is all my fault. You're just like I am. It, it was like the cat in the cradle, the silver spoon. Um, <laughs> Sounds yeah. like Mal. I realize that, you know, that that's just kind of the way some people are. Like you, you just have your nose in a book and like, that's my, pre- my preferred way to live in reality. And also now that I make a living writing novels, I'm sort of like, ha ha dad, you know, I didn't need to see Mount Rushmore as it turns out. <laughs> uh, I was perfectly fine re rereading like Ender's Game for the fifth time or something. <laughs> Hell yeah. So, well, what are you reading right now? Uh, right. Well, so, okay. The Clockwork Dynasty has this amazingly beautiful cover and it's super steampunk. And I didn't really realize that I had really gotten so far into steampunk with this novel uh, until I saw that cover. And I was like, oh my God. And then Ernie Klein compared the, the he wrote Ready Player One. He's an awesome guy. He wrote that this book is reminiscent of the Difference Engine, which is cl- classic steampunk. And I realized I have this huge Achilles heel. Like I haven't read that much steampunk. So I've been on this steampunk binge where I've just read uh, read the Difference Engine. I'm, I'm finishing up Bone Shaker, which is awesome because it takes place in the in Seattle in the Pacific Northwest, where I've been hanging out for the last 15 years. So yeah, I'm, I'm reading a ton of steampunk and p- trying to play catch up. Great. So if people want to find you on the internet, where should they reach out re- Reach out to you? Well, my website is danielhwilson.com, and anybody can email me at contactdhw at gmail.com. Um, I'm not that popular. I can't, <laughs> that I don't respond to emails. Uh, and I'm on Twitter at Daniel Wilson PDX. So that ought to be enough to figure me out. <laughs> Thanks for coming on, Daniel. Now we're going to do our book tech segment. Yes. This is, um, Mallory has brought this up maybe once or twice in the show. I think every time I lift my eyebrow and look at her, like there's something crazy happening and I just think we need to discuss it. Mallory, you at one point went on the internet and decided you needed to buy something called a book brush. I got the book brush pitched to me. Okay, okay, sorry. <laughs> Let's go back. Okay, okay. so brush, set, set, setting the seat here, it was a beautiful autumn day in Brooklyn, New York City. <laughs> <laughs> and when I lived in Brooklyn, um, my local bookstore was um, a bookstore called Terrace Books, which is uh, near Prospect Park in Bart- Bartle Pritchard Square. Shout out to the guys at Terrace. I miss that bookstore a lot. But I walked in and they had these brushes on the counter. And I was like, what are these? And he was like, that, Mallory, is a book brush. And it was like the romantic interlude started playing. <laughs> so this is like, it's about a foot long and it has two different, the brush, the bristles go almost all the way down to the end. A and the, foot long? It's a big old brush. Okay. And the brush and the bristles, that the, the thing about this book brush is it's for dusting your books. 
And if you've ever dusted books, you know that if you dust too hard, on you just smush the dust in between the pages. The covers, the spines, you don't have to worry about those as much. But the pages, you're going to get the dust all stuck in there. It's very difficult. This brush, however, the tip of the brush, the bristles are like extra stiff for, for getting in between all the pages, for getting on the tops of the books. And then the, wait, wait, wait. And then the, the bristles on that farther down on the brush on the side are softer for the spines and the covers. Mallory, I have so many questions. <laughs> Give them what, all to me. Why? Are you brushing one book at a time? No. It's like you brush all the books at once. Yes. And why can you not just use like an old timey feather duster? Because it's not gonna get all. It's not gonna get in between the pages. The bristles. So it's in between you the pages. Get the bristles. Because there's something. Are do you? Are you like in an old, like a Harry Potter movie where you like open up a book and it's all dust? The dust like flies in your face and you have to like blow it. Is your house that dusty? Well, I do have two cats. Um, this is true. But and I also I don't I don't think I've ever even showed you I have uh, I do have a rare book collection oh I have a uh, hundred year old copy of Dracula where do you keep it behind glass no I got to dust that's, it I, <laughs> if I kept it behind glass that would make my life a lot easier but it's just like on a little you know um, near my couch my my lounge. Yeah, I say this as if all our listeners have been to my Mallory, Mallory's lounge in the corner of her house. Silver. <laughs> it's like so, so, I don't know, but I have a display shelf with all my display books, and they're very rare. I have a German illustrated copy of Faust that's also a hundred years old, and it's very delicate with like a tooled leather cover with Satan on the front. It's great, but it it's very delicate. I can't just like smush. I can't just like use a sock or like um what. Why are you dusting with a sock in the first place? That's what I usually use to dust you things. You dust with socks. a sock? Old socks. An old sock, like one you can't find the match to? Yeah. Oh, that's a good, that's a good, try this at home tip. <laughs> try, try this at home. You got an old sock, <laughs> use it to dust your books or invest. All right. How okay. much did the book brush cost? Uh, $30. Whoa! <laughs> but I think you can find them. I'm going to link to it. I think the ones on Amazon are between like 15 and 30. And There's how, different sizes. And how often do you use it a week? Once a week. You dust once a week? I have two cats. I have a cat. I don't dust once a week. I guess Malika. I, va- I, I vacuum, I think your often. cat is probably the equivalent of like three cats. I know. I vacuum a couple of times a week. Yeah. Well, but I, va- I don't dust that often. I vacuum Ooh. a lot, um, but also I have a lot more books than you do. That's true. <laughs> that is true. You have a lot of books to dust around. Yeah. So, okay. My pitch of the book brush is honestly, if you have a lot of books, if you have rare books, I think it's worth it. Just because, again, it's the top, the tops of the pages thing. It really is important to me, and I would say it's worth it maybe because of the conversation starter. Because people are like, oh, "Yeah, books are great," and you're like, "It's called when men come what? over to Mallory's apartment. She's never going to get laid." If they see the, <laughs> there's a fucking they see that book, book brush, and they're like, "You know what?" They're and like, that's I when forgot the giant to wash cane my hair for them. They just get pulled away by that giant, that giant cane. <laughs> <laughs> I'm calling it a cane, but you know, I mean, the one with like a hook on the yeah, end. You know? I, yes, no, I'm motioning to you. No one can see that I'm doing like a, that's a rope exactly pull. what it is. But you know what? It's just nice. It's it's very. It's one of those things that for me it solves a reader problem. It's a little longer than one of those little Swiffer brushes. Mm. It's sturdier. It looks nice. It's made out of nice redwood. Right. Hangs off of my reading lamp. Post this on. On our Instagram. If you have a book hear brush, please opinions. email me. I'm not. Play, make sure that I'm not alone. Okay. <laughs>
So we're going to leave you with this episode's book connection, a way to connect with other readers online with the use of this week's hashtag. And this week, it's hashtag bust book shame. We want you to tweet at us or Instagram a book that you love that people might think is embarrassing. Just we want we want you all to come out. Come, come out and tell us about the t- books you think are embarrassing. Tell us about the books you're shameful about, the books, the books you haven't read, the books you have read. Yeah, we're busting all that book shame. We're going to get it all out there in the open. We're going to do some, we're going to do some too. We are just, we're all going to get it out, get it out there. If you like the show, please rate and review it on iTunes. It's really great for us and it helps us to reach more people. You can email us at readingglassespodcast at gmail.com. You can find us on Twitter at readinggpodcast, on Instagram at readingglassespodcast, and you can always follow along on our bookish adventures using the general hashtag readingglasses. Thanks for listening and And thanks thanks for for reading. MaximumFun.org Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Listener supported.